0: Romans 8:28. That doesn't give you the excuse to fall asleep over the next 30 minutes, okay? Just want to make that clear. Romans 8:28. Speaking of words you're going to need and some of you need right this moment. Right this moment you're 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 going through something that you need to know what God promises about hard times and difficult circumstances. Many of us know Romans eight twenty eight. This is one of the more famous verses in all the Bible. And as we go through this series where we're looking at verses that Christians like to quote, often out of context and in ways they aren't really meant, this one we're all familiar with, you might find out it doesn't quite mean what you think it means. Romans eight twenty eight, as many of us know, says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. When we quote that, we often use it as sort of a all-purpose, positive thinking kind of message. Don't worry. Don't worry what you're going through. God works all things together for good. It's going to be okay. And that's true. We'll say things like, you know, whenever God closes a door, he opens a window, which is not in the Bible. I want you to know that. But, is, but that's what we seem to mean when we quote Romans 8.28. Don't worry. See, you think this is bad, but it's actually going to turn out for good. But what does it actually mean? You know, let me give you a couple of examples of the way we tend to use this verse. When I was a freshman in college, 18 years old, I experienced my first real significant relationship breakup. I, I, did, I didn't date much in high school, and not because I had these high standards, right? Not because I was, you know, Mr., uh, you know, I'm, I'm too good for you. Uh, I was, put it this way, we didn't use the term friend zone back then, but I, I, I got my mail there. You know, that's where they sent my mail. Uh, I, I had a lot of very attractive friends, right? Their moms loved me. The girls were like, hey, he's a good guy. So, you know, uh, you know the joke I like to tell is they called me Don Juan, because they said, we Don want him. But, <laughs> I'll be here all week. Um, <laughs> But then I get to college, and I mean, literally before classes even start, I've got a date with a girl that is the exact kind of girl who would have been my good friend in high school. And I was really excited. I was thinking, college is going to be way better than high school. And then halfway through the semester... You know, Christmas is approaching, and I'm realizing she's about to break up with me. I mean, I haven't really been through this before, but I can tell I'm not a, I do I, I don't need to be a genius to be able to tell something's about to go down, and you never saw an 18-year-old boy pray so hard. Lord, do you want me to go to missions in the Congo? I'll do it, whatever. Just don't let her break up with me. And then she did, anyway, in spite of all my prayers. And it it didn't even break up with me while classes were still going on, which would have been better because then I could have gone back home to my dorm. But no, she did it over Christmas break, which meant that I had to drive three hours back to my parents' house where I was staying for Christmas break, you know, punching the dashboard all the way home. And I look back on that and I thank God for it. Because, I mean, not because she was a bad person. She was very sweet, very... A genuinely good person, wherever she is today, I, I, with all my heart, hope she's very, very happy. I'm just glad she's not happy with me. Because three or four months later is when I first met Carrie, standing in the, in the Baptist Student Union. And within a year, I mean, almost a year to the day after that breakup is when I, we had our first date. Things worked out. And we think that's what Romans 8.28 means. If I, somebody dumps me, well, that's because there's somebody better right around the bend. And I just need to be patient. Or I'll give you another example. I've got a, I know a man who was a very successful businessman. He was rising in a, in a major corporation that I, you all would recognize if I named it. Uh, and a couple of his associates, his colleagues, came to him one day and they said, Hey, listen, we think we could start our own business. Are you in? And he said, Yeah, why not? And so the three of them, you know, raised the capital, started their own business. It did really well. A couple of years down the road, this business was booming. The two partners come to him and they said, listen, uh, thank you for helping us get this off the ground, but we don't really share your values and uh, we want to go in a different direction. So sorry, but you're out. And so this guy, my friend, who's, you know, hard worker, always gave his all to his career. Suddenly he's unemployed. Some of you know how that feels. That's devastating. But... In order to get him out, they had to buy his shares, which meant a lot of money, and he almost immediately got a new job, so he was able to put that money in investment instead of living on it, and he invested really well. So well, in fact, that when he was just a little bit older than me, he retired. Meanwhile, the two guys who forced him out, a couple of years down the road, their company went belly up, and they lost everything. Now, we think that's what Romans 8.28 means. If I get fired, it's because God's going to give me something even better, and I'll be able to look back and say, aha, you thought you got me, but I came out ahead. Is that really what Romans 8.28 means? It happens sometimes. It happened for my friend. But will it happen? Does Romans 8.28 mean that always happens for a child of God? Well, you've already heard Romans 8, the broader context. This is important because, as I've said all through this series, whenever you look at a single verse of Scripture, you don't really know what that Scripture means until you've done at least three things. You, you ask, number one, what do the surrounding verses say? These three questions to keep us from taking Scripture out of context. What do the surrounding verses say? In other words, what does the whole chapter mean? Number two, who was it written to? The people who first heard this. What did they think it meant? Because it's not gonna mean something to you that it didn't mean to them. God didn't write any verse of scripture just for us in 2021, it's for all time. Number three, does your interpretation agree with scripture as a whole? In other words, what does the whole Bible say? If you find something, if you find an interpretation of a single verse and it's contradicted somewhere else in the Bible, then you're wrong, because God does not contradict himself. So again, you've already heard chapter eight, all earlier in the service, Now, let's look at a few verses in in and around. Verse 18. In in chapter 8, verse 18 is is where Paul's uh, mode of thought kind of shifts in a different direction. And he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Your sufferings, my sufferings, are going to be worth it someday. God's got something planned further down the road that's going to make all this make sense. Verse 19. He goes on and says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. As you heard earlier, he even uses the the metaphor of childbirth. The whole whole, whole earth, he says, is in the midst of childbirth. Now, in this room, there are people who have given birth to a child. There are also a lot of people, including me, who are very glad they will never give birth to a child, right? Yeah, that's right. We are just thankful that God didn't put that burden on us because we know there is intense pain involved. But here's the thing, every time I've ever visited a woman who's just given birth, and I've had that opportunity, not only with my wife and and with family members, but church members, I've never once had a woman say to me, man, that was a mistake. I've had them say, that was really painful. My sister-in-law, Bev, said, God must have been really mad at Eve. I've never forgotten that. (laughs) But all of them, they're holding this little baby, and they're saying, yeah, that was worth it. That 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 was a good thing that we did. All this pain produced something beautiful. If that wasn't the case, everyone would have one child, right? And then he'd say, never again. But we keep having babies. Why? Because the pain produces something beautiful. They can't be produced any other way. Verse twenty-nine. Let's skip to after uh, after uh, Romans eight twenty-eight. So, what is all that pain producing? That's the question. The first word of verse twenty-nine is "for." Always look for words in the Bible like "for" and "therefore" because they they're, they're hinge words. "For" means because in this case. In other words, Romans eight twenty-eight says, "For God uh, works all things together for good for those who love." him and are called according to his purpose because, and this is what he says next, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined, he also called and those whom he called, he also justified and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now don't get hung up on that word predestined. You probably know there there are some Christians who believe in a doctrine called election, that there are some people who are predestined to be saved and not others. I am not one of those, although I respect those who believe that way. If you're one of those, we can worship together. We're worshiping the same Jesus. The thing about this verse is whether you believe in election or not, you have to agree the main point of the verse is what we're predestined for. He says, we're predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In other words, God's goal for your life. You say, I want to know God's will for my life. I know God's will for your life. Just listen to me. It's the same as God's will for my life. It's that we would be predestined, that we would be conformed to the image of his son. That we would become just like Jesus. That we would be, in the end, glorified. What does that mean? Remember, the glory of God is his basic nature. When you strip away all the presuppositions that get in the way for us and you just see God as he is, that's his glory. Earlier in verse 18, we read, our sufferings now, they're not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. The glory that will be revealed is someday you and I are gonna be just like Jesus. Not divine, but we will have his character. We will have his love. We will have his courage. We will have his joy. And you might say, okay, Jeff, that sounds great But I'm not that spiritual, and right now, all I really want is, uh, you know, to get over this breakup, to get a new job. Why can't we focus on that? Here's the thing. God is the source of all good things. So instead of focusing on the earthly stuff we don't have, why not go straight to the source? Instead of being focused on, well, I want this and I don't have it yet, so how can I get this? Why not go to the one who gives those things? I mean, let let me put it a different way. Who do you think made beauty and laughter and pleasure and love? God made those things. We didn't invent them. The devil didn't make them. God made them. He's the reason a good meal is so satisfying. Have you ever thought about the fact that God didn't have to make food taste good? I mean, if everything we ate tasted just like overcooked, boneless, skinless chicken breast. Dry as dirt, right? Tough as a boot. Everything we ate tasted just like that. You'd still eat. You know why? Because you got to live. But God didn't do that. Instead, he made this vast variety of all of these incredible flavors that you can enjoy. Why? Because he's saying, here's my gift to you. Look, here's joy. Here's pleasure. Here's, here's enjoyment. That's what I can give you. He's the reason why we catch our breath when we hear a song that's sung beautifully like we just did. Here's, here's why an exciting story, whether it's on the screen or on the page or just your friend telling the story, it gets your heart beating faster. You can't wait to hear how it ends. And, and afterwards, you think back on it over and over again. It brings you this pleasure. This is why when you haven't seen somebody you love for a long time and you see them and you wrap your arms around them and you just hug them, it feels so good. This is why when you, when you experience something great, some, some, the end of a goal, when you sink a putt, when you finish crafting a work of art, when you bring down a buck, when you win a game, you have this surge of pleasure. All of that comes from God. He's the source of all of that. And right now, we experience these little tastes of it because we're divided from him by all this sin and all this selfishness and all this junk. And the closer we get to Jesus, the more we grow in our faith, the more all that junk is removed. And the closer we get to the source of all those good things and the more that joy and that peace and that purpose that sense of meaning in life becomes our reality and not just our every once in a while and just think about it someday all of that stuff's going to be removed and we're going to be in his presence all the time and on that day on that day the we'll look back on the stuff we enjoyed in this life and we'll think how could i have ever thought that was fun how could i have ever enjoyed that i i guess only because i didn't know what was waiting for me you know how when you're an adult and you look back on the the things you enjoyed when you were five, things that got you really excited. And you go, yeah, that's, that's not my thing anymore. I mean, and, and, you know, it's cute, but well, that's the way we're going to look back on what we thought was joy here, when we're in the sor- presence of the source of joy. And we'll know what it truly is to be fulfilled. And all that means that everything that happens, even the terrible things even the terrible things that we know we brought on ourselves because of our own stubbornness, or our own bad decision-making, our own selfishness, our own pride, even those things are things that God uses for redemption. Even when they're not part of his original plan. He's like, okay, I'll make it. I'll bring it in. I will use it to make you more like my son if you'll let me. So I say all this to say, Romans 8:28 does not promise that if a relationship ends, it's only because there's somebody better out there. That may be the case. But when you make it say that, you're writing a check that the Bank of heaven hasn't backed up yet, and that's how Christians end up making terrible decisions. You go through a breakup, you go through a divorce, and you're like, nah, Romans eight twenty eight means there's somebody even better for me out there. And then you jump into a relationship thinking, that's what I need, that's what I need, right? This is the person God provided for me. The first person who shows interest in me, well, that's obviously the person God has brought into my life to heal my broken heart. And then you end up with a, in, a, in a doomed relationship. And you're even more brokenhearted than before. Now, when your heart is broken, you go to Jesus for your comfort, not to this next person. They can't bear that weight. And when you do, yeah, it may be that somewhere down the road, you'll have a story like mine that, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that relationship didn't work out because now I'm with someone that truly is who I needed to be with. Or or maybe your story will be something more like this. I look back on when I was just emotionally shattered and I didn't think I could go on. And believe it or not, God became so real to me, my relationship with him became so profound and genuine that I gained a joy and a purpose and a peace that I never knew was possible. That person, as much as I thought I was in love, could never have made me as happy as God has made me today. Or maybe your testimony will be more like this, because I went through that time of heartache. Because I went through that time where, where my emotions were just shredded. I, I Now today, you know, I used to be kind of cold, kind of cynical, kind of sarcastic, and especially around people who were struggling. And I'd be like, you know, suck it up, buttercup. It's no big deal. But now I'm the person who is able to sit down beside them and weep with them, and bear their burdens, and I'm able to give them counsel, and I'm able to pull them through, and I get so much joy out of helping people out of the depths of despair, and back to a place of healing, and it's only because I went through it myself. God works all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And similarly, with, with losing a job, I... Romans 8.28 is not a guarantee that the job you lose next year or today or last month is going to be replaced with something that pays even more and with better coworkers and better benefits. And it doesn't mean that if you get fired today, then six months down the road, you're going to be driving a Jaguar down the street and you're going to see your boss standing on the street corner holding a sign saying, we'll work for food. Although if it does happen that way, please be gracious. Now, what it does mean is God's going to provide for you. God's going to take care of your family. You know that. You can count on it. And in the meantime, someday you might look back and say, you know, during that time I was unemployed, whether it's weeks, whether it's months, whether it's years, during that time I was unemployed, that's that's when I was able to connect with my kids in a way that I hadn't before. That's a, the that's a time when my wife and I learned to really work together to keep this ship afloat. That's, that's the time when I, I actually got involved in church instead of just going on Sundays. I actually became part of the body of Christ and I discovered my calling and what God really placed me on earth to do. And now I've got a new job and I'm working and I'm, I'm doing great. But, but over here, this is what my life's really about. Or maybe your testimony will be, yeah, I look back on that job and it paid great and I was really good at it, but it was my idol. And I didn't even realize it. I didn't realize how much I was killing myself until it was taken away. And then all of a sudden, God was there for me because I removed that thing that had gotten in the way and I experienced a relationship with him that, man, I've got, I set patterns then of, of relating to him every morning and getting into his presence that I haven't given up yet, and so that was the time that my heart got well. Or, or maybe your story will be, back when I got fired, everybody who worked alongside me said, oh, he's gonna lose his mind. But I turned my heart to Christ like never before, And he gave me such a sense of peace. People who knew me couldn't believe it. I was able to forgive. I was able to treat people graciously. I was was able to walk with joy and peace. And, And some of them have become believers because of what they saw happen in me. God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Think about the people who first heard this verse. I guarantee you they weren't thinking about, oh, good, this means I get a prettier girlfriend someday. Oh, no, this means I'll get to retire early. Now, these people lived in Rome, the biggest city in the world at the time, and a city where if you were a Christian, you were, you were a weirdo at best to your neighbors, and you were probably a traitor to your people in their eyes. And tough times were coming. I mean, just a few years after Paul wrote these words, Nero becomes the emperor of Rome, and he unleashes the worst persecution the Christian church had had up till that time, the first time they're ever the target of the Roman Empire itself. So you think these people needed to know that God's timing was just right, that they needed to know, no matter what happens to you, my plan will not be defeated. As the song we sang earlier, I cannot be stopped. I'm going to carry you through. And there's a larger, more sobering truth. As you expand out to the whole Bible, what does the whole Bible say about this? And we see over and over again in the lives of God's people, you have to have a lot of faith to believe this stuff. You know, TV shows, you get a problem, and it's wrapped up at the end of 30 minutes or an hour. Sermons tend to work that way too, right? Just little little pithy little sayings that just kind of get you through, but life isn't like that. Think about Mary, the mother of Jesus. Probably got married at 14 or 15. That's, that's about the age that girls got married back then. Imagine being that age and hearing that you're going to be the mother of the Son of God. And I'm sure in her mind, that looked very different than the way it turned out. In her mind, as a good Jewish girl, it meant he's going to be the Messiah. He's going to sit a throne. I'm going to be, I'm going to be the queen mother. I mean, right now, I'm, I'm here milking this cow from my parents. Someday I'm going to sit on a throne next to my son with a crown on my head, watching the nations bow before him. It didn't go the way she thought it would. Think about Think about, I mean, the child was still an infant and the king of a nation comes and tries to kill him. And they have to flee to Northern Africa as, as refugees. They live in the kind of poverty you and I will never understand. And, and scholars believe that Joseph probably died while Jesus was still at home, was still a boy. And then to make matters even worse, when he's about 30, your oldest, Jesus, the one who's supposed to take care of you when you're old, He walks away. says, goodbye, mom. I'm starting my ministry, which doesn't mean he goes off to be a king. No, he goes off to be a wandering, unemployed, homeless teacher. Anybody here, any parent here say, yeah, that's what I want my son to do. No, of course not. Jesus goes off and all they hear is word about, okay, yeah, he's doing miracles. Yeah, he's got people following him, but the people who are in charge of our country think he's demon-possessed. They think he's lost his mind. At one point, John 7 says, Mary herself went to bring him home, thinking he's, he's a danger to himself. We know that Mary was there the day he died. Imagine, can there be anything worse as a parent than watching your own child die? I can't imagine anything worse. Acts 1 says, the last time we see Mary in the Bible, Acts 1 says Mary is in the upper room with the apostles and those early Christians, that small group of people who still followed Christ. So at the end, she came to understand. She came to comprehend what her son came to do and what God was doing through her son. But until then, the understanding wasn't there. She had to wait. She had to wait for the resurrection for it all to come together and make sense. And sometimes it takes even longer for Romans eight twenty eight to start to make sense to us. Hebrews 11, a lot of Christians know is God's hall of fame. That's what we call it, not him. But, Romans, but Hebrews 11 is, is the story of faith, is God's telling story after story of people like Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Rahab and Moses and all these people who've exercised this incredible faith. And God says, look at this. This is what faith looks like. And right in the middle of the chapter... The author of Hebrews goes off in this tangent, this beautiful tangent. Verse 13, he says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised. They died without understanding everything. Everything they'd been promised hadn't yet been fulfilled. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself because next week I'm going to talk a lot about the prosperity gospel and Preachers who tell you that if you have enough faith or the right kind of faith, then God's always gonna give you what you want. But they're not reading this Bible. They're not reading passages like the one I just read and, and, and the rest of this. Listen to what it says. But having seen them, the promises, having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. There is something yet to come. For those of you that are my age and older, or those of you that listen to classic rock, uh, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. The song by You 2 remember how big a hit that was? That's about this verse right here. You know that? I still haven't found what I'm looking for, Lord. I am chasing after you, believing that it's coming. That's faith. That's Romans 8, 28. That's understanding that sometimes some things happen in my life that are are difficult and I'm going to have to wait till heaven to understand. I'm going to have to wait till heaven to put it all together and realize, ah, now I get it. Now I see the good that God accomplished. The best illustration I've ever heard of this, and I don't have any more details than I'm about to give you, but I, I heard a story about a, a pastor whose own son committed suicide, and he decided, he felt called to do the funeral himself, which is probably what I would want to do as well. And he used Romans eight twenty eight as his text. And he read it out and he said, now y'all, I have to confess, I have no idea how this event, my son's death, fits in with Romans eight twenty-eight. I can't make it make sense in my mind. I may never be able to in this life. He said, it, it just, it doesn't, I don't see any way this could, that God could work this into good. But he said, you know what? There's, there's many things in this world I don't understand. I don't understand something as simple as how does a ship, a big cruise ship, float in the ocean and carry thousands of people across oceans? I don't understand. He said, if you, I, I know this, if you pried off a, a piece of the hull and you threw it in the water, it would sink to the bottom. If you ripped out the, the wheel that the captain uses to turn the boat, you threw it in the water, it would sink. Most of the materials on that boat are too heavy to float. So how is it that you and I can get on that boat and, and sail to the Bahamas? And yet, if you give me a ticket, I'm getting on. You know why? Because I trust in the shipbuilder. I trust that he knows more than I do, that he knows how to put all the parts of that that boat together, weld them together in just the right way so that it is able to carry us wherever we need to go. And he said, I don't know how my son's death can ever be worked into God's good plan. It's clearly not something he willed. It's not something he planned. This is not part of his original uh, uh, plan for my life. And yet... I know that he is able to take it and work it in with all the other good and bad things that have happened in my life in such a way that it will carry me where I need to go. And all I have to do, my only responsibility is to get on the boat. Say, Lord, I trust you. Even in a time like this, I trust you. 2 Corinthians 4.17 has become very meaningful to me in these last few years. Paul writes, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Who calls our sufferings light and momentary? Only Paul could get away with that because only he can look at you and me and say, yeah, I've suffered too. I've suffered at least as much as you have and it's light and it's momentary. Why? Because there's something better coming. You know, Yesterday, I, I went out for a run, and I, I decided I haven't done this in a long time. Oh, I'm, instead of just running on a flat, you know, as flat as my neighborhood gets, I'm going to go to the stadium and run stands. And I hadn't done that in a while. And that's a really good workout, and I thought, okay, this is going to be great. And I had a goal in mind. I didn't reach that goal, y'all. Because you know, here's the thing about running stands. The first time you do it, you're like, yeah, this feels good. And the second time, you're like, this feels less good significantly less good the more times you do it. There's this pain that, that your, your body is saying, why are you doing this? This does not make sense. You're, you're going up and down and you're not sitting and sitting is good. Why are you not doing what is good? And then there's this other voice that says, yeah, but if you just fight through this pain, if you just ignore this pain, you're gonna be glad. It's gonna produce something good. And I think about the athletes that we're going to see in the Olympics in a couple of weeks. You know, I love the track and field, especially. And so when you see, for instance, a, a guy standing on top of a podium and they're, they're, lowering the, or they're raising the American flag and they're putting the gold medal around his neck because he's won the 100-meter dash or, or she's won the pole vault or he's won the, the marathon or whatever the case may be. And you look at them and you, there's tears in their eyes and you're wondering, well, I wonder what they're thinking. Well, I guarantee you, I know what they're not thinking. They're not thinking, I wish I would have had more donuts. I wish I would have added bacon more often. You know, I wish I would have slept late. I wish I would have, you know, there's all these shows I could have been binging on Netflix when I was out there working out. I wish I would have done that. They're not thinking those things because they know that all that pain, all that sacrifice, that's what was necessary to get them here. And someday you and I will be able to look back. We'll stand on the medal stand of the universe. And the victory medal of Christ will be placed around our shoulders. The the medal he won for us. And we'll know all of this makes sense now. Now I get it. Now I can rejoice. And it may not be for some of us, for some sufferings we experience, it may not be until that point, but it will be worth it. And I know I know, because I've been in ministry long enough, there are people in this room that are suffering in ways I know nothing about because that's true in any size room. And you may even be suffering right now in such a way or have experienced something in your past that you say, yeah, Jeff, but this can't possibly be redeemable. And I get that. But I would, I would ask you to think again about Mary standing at the foot of the cross seeing that her oldest child up there with nails through his hands and feet and his, his skin on his back flayed away and, and just him, him this, this bloody mess and people walking by shouting and screaming insults at him and spitting in his face. She was watching the most evil thing that had ever happened because it wasn't just the death of her son. It was, it was the death of the son of God. God came to this world. We didn't have to and we killed him. And we didn't just kill him. We we punished him and we humiliated him and we did everything we could to degrade him. The forces of darkness look like they won. I mean, if there's ever been an irredeemable event, that was it. And yet we call that day Good Friday. And we're not being ironic when we call it that. It's It's the day we were saved. It's the day our salvation was purchased. And there's no redemption without that. History's darkest day became history's greatest day. And if he can do that, if he can redeem even that, then he can handle your sufferings, your disappointments, your sorrows. Turn them over to him today. Let him take you to the ultimate destination. Trust the shipbuilder. Trust the Savior.